got them at home, my friends, at work, Christians everywhere. And the sense I get from talking with all these Christian people I know is that Christians, by and large, consider themselves to be rather generous. Kiwi Christians don't like to make a big deal about it because that's not that cool and you want to do it understated. But we still tend to think that we are quite generous people. And sometimes, a lot of time, that can be quite true. Uh, and we think that we are generous because we give. And for most of us, that seems to make sense. Generosity is giving. Um, now, Christians think of themselves as generous for this reason, and often that's the only reason. Uh, and if, if we didn't give, and obviously we wouldn't be generous, but why would we give if we're not generous? Because I'd like to suggest to you tonight that generosity and giving are not actually the same thing at all. It's not the same word, and it's not the same meaning. Because people give all the time for all kinds of reasons. All kinds of reasons. And a lot of those reasons don't necessarily have much to do with the heart at all. So I thought we'd, we'd, we'd start this evening just with a little exercise. Inspired from uh, Wendy's uh, exercise last week of us splitting up into little groups and having a class discussion, I want to pose just a couple of questions to you and, and think about this. I want you to think about and discuss uh, reasons that people have for giving. And just uh, as a little bit of a framework, I thought we could just look at these uh, examples here. Why would someone give five hours on a Sunday morning to play guitar in a church worship service? Why would someone give 20 bucks for a school fundraising uh, raffle for a new pool? And why would someone give 10% of their salary to the church? So humour me, if you will, just quietly with those next to you. Just discuss what are some reasons why people might give in this fashion. Give you a couple of minutes for that. Okay, let's, let's see what we've got. Why might someone give five hours on a Sunday morning to play guitar in a church worship service? Any suggestions? Being crazy is, um, is a very good suggestion. That's one of them. Because they like to play guitar. Yep. How many, how many musicians here get to play a gig regularly for 400 people? It's a pretty good gig. It really is. And they clap at the end and stuff. It's awesome. No one throws bottles at you. It's a good gig. So that's a good reason. Why else might you play? Uh, most gigs aren't, though, uh, on Sunday mornings. Why else might you uh, want to play guitar on a Sunday morning? Okay, well, that's a pretty cool reason. Passionate about worshiping God. Yep. 
An antidote to what? <laughs> All right. What about the next one? Uh, why might someone um, buy a $20 uh, raffle ticket to raise money for a new pool at school? You might win. You might get a meat pack. Awesome, yep. A lot of you didn't have to do anything at the school, yep. Others are doing it, so you should as well. Yes, definitely. The, um, the kids will benefit from the school, helps the kids to swim, definitely. You might actually know the child, right. So but that, that's a generous act, giving $20 to the school, but there are a lot of reasons that move us to give. And lastly, why might you uh, tithe 10% of your salary to the church? Guilt. Ha-ha. <laughs> Christians are good at that. Very good. What else? Obedience. Definitely obedience. Anything else? Love. All right. You got one? He's pretty generous too, isn't he? Yep. Yeah, which I think is tied up certainly with, with the idea of obedience. Okay, that's good. Thank you, class. Um, so, clearly, we give, and even companies give, for a number of reasons. Because it makes us feel good, because it makes us look good sometimes, because we get a tax break, because God has commanded us to, and we want to be obedient, because we might get something back in return. All of these reasons are, to varying degrees, valid. Uh, but they do not necessarily reflect a generous heart. Jesus told a story once about a man who did have a generous heart. And I thought, we'll just have a look at that together. So if you wouldn't mind turning to Luke chapter 10, please. Look at a very interesting story, which I'm sure you've heard before. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to start at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus and he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came... He came where the man was, and when he saw him, he was filled with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now we go, boo, hiss. Priest and Levite, oh, they're so mean. But uh, that would not have been the response of the people who heard this Jesus tell the story 2,000 years ago. Because the, the response of the priest and the Levite in that story was not particularly scandalous. They acted pretty much in the fashion that a Jewish person would expect them to because they were bound to follow the law as they understood it. And the law had placed some interesting restrictions on them. The priest was forbidden in the law to touch a dead body. If the priest touched a dead body, that would render him uh, impure, unable to fulfill his tasks, his duties at the temple. If he touched a dead body or come near one, he wouldn't be able to offer sacrifices. He wouldn't be able to honor God in the way that he had been ordained to. And so he didn't take the risk. He obviously didn't know if the man was dead or alive, but he didn't take the risk to go over there so that he could keep himself pure before God and serve God as he believed the law said. Now, the Levite was from a family that was dedicated to serving the priests and fulfilling tasks around the temple. And if he made himself impure, then he couldn't fulfill his role at the temple either. He couldn't service the priests. He'd have to... He'd, at least for the rest of the day, he'd be completely impure. He couldn't go and do his job. And the Levites, they knew the law, and being pure was incredibly important to them. And so they, they acted and erred on the side of what they believed the law said, rather than acting on the side of what their heart might say. And this is the turning point in the story. There was nothing scandalous about what they did. What was scandalous is the fact that it was a Samaritan who acted in compassion. Dropping even that word Samaritan into that story would have people going, what? What's this guy going to do? Because the relationship back then, 2,000 years ago, between Samaritans and Jews is pretty much the same as it is now between Israelis and Palestinians. There was mistrust and Scorn, contempt, uh, there was a long history of animosity between them. And uh, it was normal to cross the road onto the other side rather than actually come face to face with a, with a person of the other race. But this is the man, despite the fact that he had every cultural reason not to, this is the man that helped the dying Jew. And he did it not because the law commanded him to. The phrase that Jesus used when he said the Samaritan came upon the man was that he was filled with compassion or he was filled with pity for him. And this is the same phrase that is used of Jesus when time after time he encountered someone with need. His heart was filled with pity and it moved him to act. His generosity came from a compassionate heart. Not because it would make him look good, not because of the law, not because he would receive a reward, but because he was filled with compassion. His generosity came from a compassionate heart, not law or legalism. In fact, 
Law and legalism did not move the priest or the Levite to act with any uh, compassion at all. It moved them to act on the side of maintaining their religion. Which ultimately demonstrates they didn't really get the heart of God's law at all. Legalism and obedience move us to give and do only as much as the law requires. That much and often nothing more. The concern there is not for the need of the person, but the requirement of the law. So I will tithe, I will give 10% and so fulfill the law, but that's it. That's all God wants of me, and so I will give nothing else. This is not a generous heart. It may be obedient, which is good, but it is not truly generous. And Jesus has higher hopes for us than this. In the Old Testament, God's people tithed 10% of their harvest to the priests and the Levites because the law told them to. In the New Testament, God's people sold houses and gave all of the proceeds to the apostles to look after widows and orphans. That's not law, that's love. Now, God promises us in a number of places in Scripture that our giving will be rewarded. This is a consistent message in a number of places. Verses like Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now you read a verse like that and you think, man, I've got to give more. Because look what I'm going to get. And I've heard this passage hammered real hard by a number of preachers. Hit really hard and pushed as probably the best investment plan you could possibly have. Kiwi saver, this is where you want to put your money because you're going to get so much back. Uh, and that might well actually be true. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to diss that. But if our motivation to give is an expectation of what we're going to get back, well, then that's not generous either. Because your heart is fixed on the dividend and not on the divine. So what motivates you to give in any context? Would you give if there was no hope of a return in any way? Would you give in secret so that someone couldn't even thank you and feel better about you because you've given. True generosity comes from a motivation of pure love. The biblical word from which we get the English word charity is harasomai, which means a gracious gift, a gift that is not earned. And this is how God has and always does give to us. All the time he's giving. Not because he owes us anything, not because we've earned it, just because this reflects his nature. He is a loving father and he loves to give his children good things. This is the love, this is the generosity that moved him to give Jesus for us so that we could spend forever with him. This is what charity actually is. Unearned giving. A generous heart compels us to give because we love. So we give to God because 
we love him. Story that Greg shared this morning about a woman who broke uh, an alabaster jar of nard perfume over Jesus' feet and is massaged it into him. Uh, a jar of perfume worth a year's wages. Do you think the, the law of Moses told her to do that? To give a year's wages, to smash it over his feet and massage that sweet-smelling perfume into him? No. That was a symbol and an act of incredible love and gratitude for him. Love motivates you to give like that, not the law. And that is the heart that Jesus is looking for in us too. And so we should give to the church, not because we are fulfilling a Mosaic law, but because we love the bride of Christ. And we want her to have everything she needs to fulfill the mission that God has given her. We should give to the church because we love God's family and we don't want God's family to go without. We should give to those in need as we encounter them because we love all of God's children. And we are moved in compassion just as Jesus was when he saw need. The heart of generosity is love and the more we love, the more we will give and give happily. If you ever feel prompted to give, and something wells up within you in resistance, and you, you give out of some other motivation, this is not generosity. And that doesn't honor God. But it's hard, because there's something else that we love. We love money, and we love what money buys. I love my house my car, which I have to sell and buy a people mover. We love things, iPads, iPods, new clothes, new shoes. We love things. And unfortunately, loving God and loving money are mutually exclusive. You cannot love them both. They're at cross-purposes. And Jesus said, we have to choose. And he's promised us a lot of things. He promised he will take care of us and give us what we need and give us so much beyond that. But we've got to choose what we want most, him or the stuff. Because the stuff gets in the way and it drags us down, just as it did the rich young ruler who had given his whole life to honoring the law and done everything to honor God. But when Jesus said, that's great, now to sell what you have and give it to the poor, then you can follow me. At that point, he had to walk away sad because his wealth was a weight around his neck that he wouldn't take off. And he couldn't follow Christ because money was the most important thing to him. Jesus said we must choose. Will we love him or money? To love God and others, as the great commandment requires, we must let go the hold money has on us and possessions. And come to the understanding that all of it is his anyway. And he puts it in our hands to bless us, to bless the world around us, to bless his church. But it isn't really ours. And it was easy to write that sentence, and it's easy to say it to you now. But I know how hard it is to actually live that. 
And so you could say, yeah, okay, Clay, I agree with you, but how do I grab hold of this and make this a reality in my life? Because ultimately, everything we say in here, it's got to go beyond words to actually be a reality in our lives. And so meditating on this, uh, a few things came. The first of which was something I heard uh, three years ago. The first weekend uh, that I was on staff here at The Rock, there's a guy called Chris Fulson uh, here preaching. And I remember him sharing uh, a story uh, when he felt God was really uh, calling him to be a more generous person just in general, beyond tithing, which he did, but just to be a generous person in his nature. And, uh, and he asked God, well, well, how can I become more generous? And the feeling he got from God was by giving, by giving. And so he sat down and he thought about uh, all the, the reasons, excuses that held him back from being a generous person when he encountered need and felt prompted to give. And uh, he thought about that and from that point on, he started carrying around a wad of $5 notes in his pocket so that whenever he encountered a homeless person, of which there were a lot in his area, he would never have the excuse, oh, sorry, man, no cash. If he saw a homeless person in need of a meal, he would always have something to give them. And uh, the fact that they might spend it on booze or drugs, well, that's that's got nothing to do with him. They had need. They looked hungry. He would give, and that would be his practice. And so he was now prepared to give, but he was not just financially prepared to give. What he was doing was he was preparing his mind and my heart. I will give. I am going to give, and I'm not going to let anything stand in my way from being the generous person that God is calling me to do. So that simple act of thinking ahead and putting the water fives in his back pocket was preparing his heart and his mind. A generous person is prepared to give when God calls. And he found the more he did this, and the more he gave, and the more he wanted just to pause a moment and listen to stories and find out that this worthless bum was actually a war veteran who had been stuffed over by the government and had no other options. So he was actually talking to a war hero who was hungry. And he heard story after story like this. And the more he spoke to them, the more he loved them and wanted to do more than just give them a fiver. And this is how God turned him into a generous person. Five dollar notes. Practicing the principle generates in us this love. The more we do it, the more that grinds away on a hard heart. There's something else we can do to generate a, a generous heart within us. And that is two very simple meditations on two pretty loaded questions. Firstly, what would you want people to do for you if you were in need? See, a lot of the time, we aren't really in that much need. Most of us probably well off. We have a good job or we're in the family of someone who's got all the money they need. We don't often go hungry. We don't have, uh, we're not in a situation where there's not a roof over our head or clothes on our back. We have everything we need. We live in a very affluent society. But there are people who, who have need around us all the time. But to develop 
compassion and love for them, meditating on them and their circumstances can do us a world of good. Developing an ability to empathize with others. And if we can put ourselves in their shoes, we could, we could think, what would we want someone to do in that position? Anyone hitchhiked before? Done much hitchhiking? What's the longest you've gone um, between rides? Five hours. That'd suck. What do you got? Five hours on Christmas. I got 22 hours. It's pretty, 20, 22 hours is pretty bad, eh? Um, that's uh, it's North Otago. I think we saw three cars pass in that time. And if you've hitchhiked before and you're waiting for a ride and it seems to take a while, you think all kinds of things. You think some pretty hurtful things about some people who drive past. But, but what you think is, man, I, I would. I, I would pick me up. Of course, I was pretty rough looking. I had long bogan hair. And all, maybe I wouldn't pick me up. But you, you, but you sit there thinking, man, I wish someone would just give me a chance and just give me a lift even to the next town. And, and, and I, I remember thinking so many times, I will always pick someone up. I will always pick someone up. That poor guy needs a lift. I will always pick someone up. Uh, but it took me to experience that need to actually make that, that change in my heart that I... If someone needs a ride, I want to be the one to stop and give them a lift. Uh, but a lot of time, we can talk ourselves out of being generous because we don't get people's circumstance. Where we can't empathise with need because we've never had any lack. So yeah, what would you do? Putting pride aside, putting pride aside, what would you want people to do if you lost your job and couldn't find work for months? What would you want someone to do if you ran out of gas and couldn't get to a church service till next payday? Or if you were a solo mum with three young kids, no lawnmower, and a jungle in the front lawn. There's all, just all kinds of little and big examples that people all the time are, are, are having to deal with. And a lot of time people don't know that the need's there, or they just don't even think about it and block it out. But putting ourselves in others' shoes can generate something very special, a love for each other. We start to get it. Another powerful meditation is this. What has God done for me? Now, this is something I believe that we should think about all the time because we are forgetful and we always have been. You read any story in the Old Testament, anything great God has done, read pretty much the next chapter after God's done something great. I mean great, like brought down a nation and rescued an entire people from slavery. One chapter later, they've forgotten. One generation later, they've forgotten how awesome God is and what amazing things God has done for them. With us, it could be a week. God does something miraculous in our lives, something amazing for us, and a week later, we've forgotten. What? Where's God now? What have you done for me lately? But a meditation on what he has done, and the list is endless. Just that, re- that remembrance shows us what true giving is, and it builds up gratitude. And gratitude leads us to respond in love and in action. The more we meditate on his love, his charity, his generosity, the more that meditation soaks into our heart. 
And so the beloved apostle writes in 1 John 4.19, We love because he first loved us. We are generous because he was first generous and gave so freely to us. We give because he gave and keeps giving. He is the source of what true generosity is. There was a Christian which I imagine a lot of you are, I expect that you would agree in the principle of what I have shared tonight. Yes, Clay, Christians should be generous and have a generous heart. We should love God more and and others more than we love money and possessions. You agree with the principle, right? Well, that principle, that revealed truth, needs to find expression in our lives. We must move from principle to practice. And that means stepping out in faith and actually acting on it. Obedience is great, and I'm a big one for it, and I preach it. There's nothing wrong with obedience, but there is something greater than obedience. And that is love. And the reality is that for a lot of us, obedience is where we need to start. When we don't get it, we don't get what love really is and what it means to live in love, we're going to start with what we do get. And so maybe we get this. Jesus is Lord. I've surrendered my life to him. That means he calls the shots. So I believe he wants me to tithe. Okay, I will do that. Because you are Lord and I get that, I will act in obedience. That is where a lot of people have to start. And that's cool. And in a lot of areas in your life, obedience is where it starts. And God is honored by that. But he has something greater for us. And that is to live in love. Responding to his love and letting his love work through us all the time. The great thing about living in love is that it doesn't stop at the letter of a law. It goes so much further than that and permeates everything that we do and say and are. And that is what he is really calling us to. You look through the Old Testament, through the law of Moses, time and time again, there is law that was given to get the people started, to get them heading in the right direction. Interesting laws. Have you ever thought about the law, uh, thou shalt not wear clothing of mixed fabric? Check your label. There's a room full of sinners here tonight. A lot of wool polyester blends, I'm sure. There's a law in Leviticus. Thou shalt not wear clothing of mixed fabric. And that law was to help establish a principle about God's people mixing with pagan peoples who would drag them into false gods. Do you think God is binding that on you now? No. But he was trying to see something established in the culture of his people. And so it is with so many other laws. There is a greater principle beyond the law. And that is to live in love and generosity. So don't just stop at the letter of the law. We grab the whole thing and go way beyond it. When you give because you love, then you have grabbed the heart of Christ and made a part of it your own. And when you give because you love, you will find that the blessing is the giving. And when you give because you love, your love will grow and you will find yourself 
more and more like the one who gave it all. Let me pray for you. Lord, we, we can't begin to thank you for what you have given for us. And the songs we sing hardly even scratch the surface. And we could live a thousand lives trying to repay you for what you've done, but we wouldn't come close. But Lord, I pray you'd help us to live in gratitude. I pray that you would give us your heart, the heart that loves everyone, the heart that sees beyond color and, and, and race and, and, and gender and any cultural barrier and just sees a beautiful child of God and acts in love when you see need. Lord, I pray for us, for myself, that you'd help me to see the truth that what you have put in my hands, the resource of time, the resource of, of money and, and other goods, Lord, the skills, they are really yours and I am a steward of them. And you'd help me to use those in a way that honors you and loves you and loves all those around me. I pray, Lord, you would shape within me, within us all, Lord, a heart filled with compassion. And Lord, for those chains that bind me, that bind us, to material possessions. I pray you'd cut them. That I could be blessed by them, but not dragged down by them. And this week, Lord, tomorrow, even tonight, I would be sensitive to opportunities to reach out and act in compassion. Lord, I want to pray against legalism in this house tonight. And I want to pray against any word that makes people feel guilty. You, don't, you do not bring guilt, Lord. But you bring us a picture of a better us. A vision that you have for us. And I pray that we'd be able to reach out for that, Lord. So, Lord, maybe we'd be sensitive to the needs around us. And we wouldn't let those excuses ringing in our ears hold us back from acting the way you would. Lord, I also pray for the resource that we need to act in generosity. I pray, Lord, when we see need, we would have the resource to give to that. And you've promised us that too, Lord, so we claim that promise, that we would have every resource, that you would enrich us to be generous as you've called us to. If the words of this, this prayer ring true for you and you want to claim these things, say amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening.